You indeed are great, Lord. You are great. We spend so much of our lives being told about what other people and what other things are great, but God, You alone are worthy of our worship and praise. That line that You're the breath in our lungs, it would make sense, God, that we spend our lives talking about You, but we get caught up in talking about so much other stuff. God, You've gathered us here. You set divine appointments with Your people, and so You've got us in this place at this time. And God, we acknowledge and recognize that you alone are great. You alone are worthy of our worship and praise. And we ask now, God, that you would speak to us through your word. You would speak to us through your Holy Spirit. That our ears and our, our minds, our hearts would be open to whatever it is that you have for us as we finish up the book of Acts. Studying it and talking about it now, but certainly not studying it and reading it. And so, God, uh, we just give this time to you and pray that um, it would be to your glory that your will would be done in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We are at the conclusion of our study of the book of Acts. We've been following Paul. He's kind of the central character of the last part of the book. And what we found is that Paul continues to just find himself in situations and circumstances that none of us would want to be in. But Paul has a passion, he's got a calling, he's got a mission. Paul never takes his eyes off of eternity in Jesus. And so it really doesn't matter where he is or what's going on or whether things are good or bad. He finds a reason to praise God and to talk about Jesus. And so he is in the situation now where he has been arrested. He uh, has decided that he's going to invoke his right as a Roman citizen and he wants to stand trial for his life before Caesar. And so he is on the way to Rome in Italy. And uh, it shouldn't surprise us that the best way to travel in those days, if you had long distances, there was an awful lot of water around. They went by boat. So we're going to talk about a shipwreck today. But before we do, I want you to just start a thought in your mind. And the thought is, what and where have you been? And what have been the circumstances or the situations where you feel like your life has run into a shipwreck? It's really the most, the most direct connection that we can make to part of this passage. So we'll get to it more later, but I want you to start thinking about it. The other thing is, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is writing it, and he makes this change right now where he talks about we. He's traveling with Paul. He's right there. So all of this action is being recorded by a guy who's right there in the middle of all of it. And I've talked about Acts before, and I said it's kind of like a Marvel movie. It's kind of like we've got real-life superheroes and Paul, in this passage, part of it's just funny. Part of it is ridiculous. Part of it is tragic. But it's all kind of Paul the superhero. And so as we think about it, we're going to get started. I'm going to pick up where we left off the last couple of weeks. And that is, are you living your life in your wants or in God's will? Paul has invoked his right to go to be seen by Caesar, to have his case heard. And that's where we pick up this passage. Chapter 27, starting in the first verse. When the time came, we set sail for Italy. Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of a Roman officer named Julius, a captain of the Imperial Regiment. He isn't just a soldier, he's, soldier, he's a big deal soldier. Because Paul is a big deal prisoner. No matter what it is that people think about him, Paul is a big deal. and He's recognized, that's why the Jewish people want to end his life. But the Romans, member had just said they didn't find anything that he had done wrong that was worthy of imprisonment, much less death. 
Romans are the only one that can put a person to death at this point. The Jewish people can't do it themselves. But because he has to be seen before Caesar, when they said that they were ready to let him go, he has to go and have that appointment with Caesar. Uh, And so he's being led by this high-profile soldier. Jumping down to verse 3. The next day we docked at Sardin. Julius was very kind to Paul and let him go ashore to visit with friends so they could provide for his needs. A prisoner had to have people that cared about them. And this is still the case in many parts of our world today. When you go to jail, the government doesn't take care of you. If you don't have friends or family or someone to provide clothes and food, uh, you just don't get any. And this is the case here. Paul has got people that are helping to take care of him. Julius, more than likely, was told by his supervisor, I don't think this guy is guilty of anything. Take good care of him. Make sure that you give him a break. He's not a bad guy. Don't treat him like a horrible person. So he's being very kind to him. Putting out to sea from there, we encountered strong headwinds. Luke is going to begin to make the case that this is terrible travel. The language that he uses helps us understand kind of the movie in our mind of what's happening on the water. We encountered strong headwinds that made it difficult to keep the ship on course. So we sailed north of Cyprus between the island and the mainland. All of these details. Why all the details? Because this isn't a fairy tale. This isn't a story. This is history. This is God's story for all of us to read and to understand. And so Luke is quite generous in the names of people and places, bodies of water, islands, so we can track it all on a map today. Keeping to the open sea, we passed uh, along the island and the mainland. Keeping to the open sea, we passed along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, landing at Myra in the province of Lycia. Exact locations. There the commanding officer found an Egyptian ship from Alexandria that was bound for Italy, and he put us on board. They had a goal of getting to Rome. This ship wasn't going to do it, so they found a larger ship that would actually carry them the rest of the way. We had several days of slow sailing, and after great difficulty, uh, we uh, neared Snidus. But uh, the wind was against us, so we sailed across to Crete and along the sheltered coast of the island past the Cape of Salmone. We struggled. Hear all these words? We struggled along the coast with great difficulty and finally arrived at Fair Havens and the town, near the town of Lycia. Again, specific points that we can track. We had lost a lot of time. The weather was becoming dangerous for sea travel because it was so late in the Paul. And Paul spoke to the ship's officers about it. Paul, who is a prisoner of the Roman government at the request of the Jewish religious leaders is getting caught up in bad weather, and he goes to the talk to the, church, uh, the ship's officers about what they could do. What in the world does Paul think he can say about, sail about, say about sailing a ship? Well, if you track his journeys, Paul has spent a lot of time on boats. He has traveled all over this part of the world, and most of it, while he's done some walking, most of it have been about boats. They've been on boats. He hasn't sailed them, but he's been on them. He's learned to read the weather. He's learned to read the waves and the winds. And so he goes to these guys and he says, Men, I believe there's trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, and danger to our lives as well. But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain than to the owners. And the owners than to Paul. Why? Sometimes when we were in the shipwrecks in our life, it's because... We got greedy. Sometimes it's because we wanted more than we had. We, we chose something that knew what we, what we knew wasn't best for us, but we wanted it and we felt like we deserved it. The idea of our wants or God's will 
Paul is talking to these guys about there is trouble ahead, most certainly. But they're concerned about profit. They're concerned about getting their cargo and their prisoners to the point that they're supposed to be so they can make money, so they can turn the ship around and to make more money. Sometimes we make bad decisions because we're greedy. Sometimes we find ourselves in a shipwreck because we just simply tried to do more than we should have tried to do in the moment. That could be what ends up happening here. But the officer in charge listened more to the ship's captain and the owner than to Paul. And since Fairhavens was an exposed harbor, meaning exposed to the weather, a poor place to spend the winter, most of the crew wanted to go on to Phoenix, further up the coast of Crete, and spend the winter there. Phoenix was a good harbor with only a southwest and northwest exposure. We understand the importance of wind around here, especially in the wintertime. But what's happening is they're having to make a decision about where they're going to spend the winter now. This isn't going to be a quick trip to Rome. When a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it. So they pulled up anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. Paul's already told them we're going to, we're going to run into trouble, but the sailors see something that they like. They see something that, you know what, this is going to work. We can make this happen. So they set to sail, but the weather changed abruptly, and the wind of typhoon strength. Hurricane strength. I mean, we're talking big winds. Uh, you heard about the hurricane that hit Southern California. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine last week who was out there. We did a Zoom call, and we asked the question, how, how was the storm? And he goes, huh, it rained a little. A couple areas flooded. It wasn't really a big deal. It was more something for the news people. This isn't something for the news people. This is a serious storm. Typhoon strength, a hurricane. It's called a northeaster. It burst across the island, and it blew us out to sea. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. If you've ever sailed, you know, sometimes to sail into a wind, you've got to tack back and forth and use the wind and the angles in order to get where you're going. They can't even do that. The only option that they have is let the wind take them, even though it's a direction they don't want to go. So they sailed along the sheltered side of a small island named Kauda, where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. Then listen to what they did next. The sailors bound ropes around the whole of the ship to strengthen it. They were so afraid that they took these huge maritime ropes, wrapped all the way around the boat, under the hull, back up on top, cinched them down to keep the hull from falling apart. This is a big storm. These sailors are scared. Then the sailors bound ropes to the hull of the ship to strengthen it. They were afraid of being driven across to the sandbars of Sirtis off the African coast. So they lowered a sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. Sometimes when we see that we're getting into trouble, rather than going to God, rather than going to His promises, we double down to what we know and we try to drop an anchor because if nothing else, it's best to stay right where we are. That's what they do. The next day, a gale force wind continued to batter the ship. The crew began throwing cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear, the stuff they need to sail the ship. Some of the ship's gear and uh, tossed it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. Morning, noon, and night, they're in pitch black darkness. They're throwing everything they can to try to lighten the load to bob above the surface of these waves, which is so much what we do when we get in to a shipwreck. We go back to what we know. We do what we did before. 
Even if it wasn't a good answer and it didn't work the last five times and it got us into trouble, we find ourselves in the same place. We do the same thing. Sometimes we think, well, you know what? The problem is somebody else. If I get rid of that person, my life will get better. If I get rid of this thing or this job or whatever it is, if I lighten the load, maybe the storm won't be so strong. The deal is this. The storm is what the storm is. What are the shipwrecks in your life? No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You'd avoided all this damage and loss because they've thrown their cargo and an awful lot of the things they need to sail the ship, they've tossed overboard. The other thing we find out is a little bit of Paul's personality. I told you so. Now you're in this storm, you're in this mess. I told you so. I told you we shouldn't do this. Paul is not one to stay quiet when maybe sometimes you should. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives even though the ship will go down. That's a pretty bold statement. The ship is going to sink, but you're not going to lose your life. How can he say that? For last night an angel of of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me. An angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. One of the questions that you've got to ask yourself before we get done with this is, to whom do you belong and to whom do you serve? Who do you belong to and who do you serve? And does your life give testimony to that as truth? And the angel said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. He's telling these men who don't believe in the God that he believes in that they're going to make it through the storm. The ship's going to go down, but they're going to make it. So take courage, for I believe God, Paul says. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. The question is, when the shipwrecks hit you in your life, do you believe in God? Do you trust in the promises of God, or do you trust in your experience? Do you trust in what you've done before? Do you trust in good old-fashioned hard work and effort? Do you trust in a book you read or a video that you watch? What do you trust in when you begin to experience a shipwreck? Because this is an exact transition to our lives. Because we all experience shipwrecks. And the question is, what do we believe in? These guys, their backup plan is to get rid of stuff and to change stuff and to try to, try to switch the circumstances, but that's not going to do any good. About midnight on the 14th night of the storm, two weeks into the storm, two weeks, as we were being driven across the Sea of Adria, the sailors sensed land was near. So they dropped a weighted line and found that water was 120 feet deep. But they measured again in only a little while and they found out it was 90 feet deep. At this rate, they were afraid that we would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and they prayed for daylight. Paul has already said, God told me we're going to lose the ship, but you're going to be okay. So what do they do? They go back to what they know. Here's how we can prevent it. How often in your life do you realize you've got to do something drastically different? Maybe this time you really do have to put your trust in God. Maybe you have to put your hands up and say, you know what, God, you take the wheel because all I'm doing is getting myself in trouble. And yet what we so often do is go back and just try to do more of what we know, more of what we've done before. And it just doesn't work. (sighs) Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, you will all die unless the soldiers stay aboard. 
So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. They finally listen to this man of God. Self-protection is one of the strongest driving forces to a human being. Keeping yourself alive and out of trouble. And sometimes it causes us to do things that get us into more trouble. Paul has already said, God has promised me, God has told me, we are going to lose the ship. You're going to lose a tremendous amount of money, but not one person is going to die. When it gets to that point that you realize that your life is a shipwreck, what do you do? Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You've been so worried you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, he gave thanks to God before them all. He broke off a piece and he ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat. All 276 of us who were on board, Luke is including himself in that number, after eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. Paul told him God's plan. Paul said the ship is going to wreck. It's going to be destroyed, but not one of you is going to die. So they take a break, they eat, they have a moment of relief, and then they want to lighten the load further and they throw all the grain over. All the wheat is now gone. Now they've got nothing to eat. How often do we try to solve shipwrecks with our own hard work? That's what's going on here. When morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. They're still trying to live out their plan. So they cut off the anchors and they left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, headed towards the shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship stuck fast while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and it began to break apart. Everything that Paul had told them is beginning to happen despite all of their efforts to prevent it. See, God has told us in His Word the promises that He has for us. God has sent us Jesus. That, that promise that says, you know, whatever happens to us in this life, we know what happens for eternity. And yet we continue to try to change things on our own to fit what we want. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. The others held on to planks of debris from the broken ship, so everyone escaped safely to shore. If you've ever watched the movie Titanic, this is the part where the ship goes down and they're in the freezing North Atlantic and they're grabbing whatever they can to float when the only thing above water is their shoulders and heads. That's kind of the scene. Because the ship has been completely obliterated. And all there is is some of the wood from the hull and the floors, maybe the, the rails along the side. That's what they're grabbing to hold on to, even though God has said, not a hair on your head will be spared. Chapter 28, once we were safe on the shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. Now, at this point, you can go, I've seen pictures of Malta. This isn't a bad place to crash. Not a bad place. If you're going to be in a shipwreck, this is a pretty good place to be. But you know what? The drama here isn't over. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, this prisoner who was on the boat is trying to help out. They built a fire on the beach. He's going around and gathering wood. Remember what happened to Paul to this point. Paul has this encounter with Jesus, radically transforms his life. Rather than being one who persecutes and tries to kill Christians, he becomes the leading Christian, the leading missionary. I mean, this guy is all in for Jesus. 
And so he has rocks thrown at him and he's left for dead more than once to try to silence him. He's put in jail. He's, he's got his feet bound in stocks in the center of a jail. They try to stone him and kill him again. They put him in jail again. Paul has got life that has just been brutal. And now he gets in a, train, a shipwreck after 14 days of storm. And he's just trying to gather some firewood for a fire to warm up. He lays him by the fire and a poisonous snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. He can't catch a break. What's interesting about it is Paul doesn't swear. Paul doesn't give up. Paul doesn't say, God, come on. I'm spending my whole life serving you. And now a snake? You've got to be kidding me. I can't imagine what any of our response would have been. A poisonous snake crawls out from a rock, bites him in the hand. This is where the Marvel movie takes over again. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, A murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped at sea, justice will not permit him to live. This is religion. This is belief without any truth. This is spirituality. And America is so full of this. Ideas that, well, it must be true and nothing really proves it wrong, so this is what we believe. What they believe is he was bit by a poisonous snake, therefore he survived the shipwreck, but he must be a murderer, he's going to die. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. This guy is a superhero. He's been through a 14-day storm at sea, boat crashes, floats to shore, gathers wood, gets bit by a poisonous snake, snaps the thing off into the fire, and he walks away unharmed. The people, the religious people, waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead, because that's what everybody did when they got bit by the snake. But when they'd waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. That's what happens with religion. That's what happens with spirituality. And I hear people all the time, you know what, I'm very religious. I don't believe in Jesus, but I'm very religious. I'm very spiritual. I'm very spiritual. You know, believing in something that's out there in the ether, that might make you spiritual, but it it doesn't really do you any good. Because at the end of the day, that isn't going to do you any favors at all. This idea of being religious or spiritual without Jesus is just an exercise in futility. It isn't going to go anywhere. And it's about as much sense as these people decide, he's a murderer, he's got to die. Ooh, he didn't die, he's a god. That's how fast wind changes beliefs for people who don't believe in Jesus. How quick it is that we can be to change our beliefs. Near the shore where we landed, Luke says, was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, his father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him, and laying hands on him, he healed him. We learned a few chapters ago that God gave Paul a special anointing of the Holy Spirit to be able to do miracles that other people couldn't do. And, and so Paul, who is always trying to bring people to Jesus, Jewish people, Gentile people, doesn't matter, he wants them to know Jesus, goes in and heals this guy. Then all the other sick people on the island came and they were healed. As a result, we were showered with honors, and when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. Why is that amazing? Because not only do they not have a ship, they don't have their cargo, they don't have the stuff they need to sail the ship. So they get another ship and they get everything that they need. Paul's passion and his mission and his call are all aligned. And they're all aligned with an eternal mindset of spending an eternity with Jesus. And God blesses Paul's life in the worst of circumstances. God shows Paul over and over and over that he is at work. 
whether your circumstances or your situation is what you want or not, if you're in the midst of a shipwreck, it doesn't mean God has forgotten you. It doesn't mean you're actually on your own. Verse 14. It was three months after the shipwreck that we set sail on another ship that had uh, wintered on the island. Jump ahead a little bit, talk about some more uh, places. Then we found believers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters in Rome had heard we were coming. This is people who are a part of the way. We call them Christians now. They came to meet us at the Forum, another thing that history remembers, and we can tie to this, on the Appian Way. Others joined us at the three taverns. When Paul saw them, he was encouraged, and he thanked God. When we arrived in Rome, Paul was permitted to have his own private lodging, though he was guarded by a soldier. God is at work in such a way that Paul gets to stay in his own place. A soldier's got a guard, but he kind of gets to do what he wants. And what does Paul want to do? He wants to talk to people about Jesus. Three days after Paul's arrival, he called together the local Jewish leaders. Why is this important? Because what we've said all along is Paul is Jewish. Paul wants the Jewish people to know that their scriptures have been fulfilled in a man named Jesus. So he calls together the Jewish leaders because it's an opportunity for some evangelism. And he said, brothers, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Roman government. Basically, he starts the meeting going, I'm a prisoner of the Roman government. Even though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors, the Romans tried me and they wanted to release me because they found no cause for the death sentence. But when the Jewish leaders protested the decision, I felt it necessary to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no desire to press charges against my own people. Again, he doesn't say the Holy Spirit told him to. He said, I felt it necessary. It was Paul's decision. I asked you to come here today so we could get acquainted. And so I could explain to you that I am bound with this chain because I believe that the hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. He's in chains for Jesus because he believes Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior, the one the prophets have promised. They replied, we've had no letters from Judea or reports against you from anyone who's come here. But we want to hear what you believe for the only thing we know about this movement is that it's denounced everywhere. The only thing they've heard about the way is that people talk bad about it. Well, the Jewish people are. And that's so often what happens with religion and spirituality and gossip. The good news never makes it to our ears. It's the, it's the bad stuff. It's the juicy stuff. It's the negative stuff. All they had heard is of this way being denounced. So a time was set, and on that day, a large number of, number of people came to Paul's lodging. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God, and he tried to persuade them about Jesus from the Scriptures using their own Scriptures. Using the law of Moses and the books of the prophets, he spoke to them from morning until evening. Some were persuaded by the things he said, but others didn't believe. And after they had argued back and forth among themselves, they left with this final word from Paul. Paul says, The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through, the Isaiah, through Isaiah the prophet, he's quoting their scripture, Go and say to this people, to them, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. Why is it so important that our messages never stray from the Bible? Because on our own, we can't comprehend. We can't, we can't understand without God's Holy Spirit. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes. So their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. 
Paul says, so I want you to know that this salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles and they will accept it. Once again, Paul has got his heart breaking for his own people because they don't believe in Jesus. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. There ends the 28th chapter of the book of Acts. What happened to Paul? Well, we've got different historians that tell us different things. No one actually knows for sure. We know that Paul doesn't travel anywhere outside of Rome after this. That in this rather comfortable way, he was a prisoner. But then there was a, a king uh, who took over, a Caesar named Nero. And Nero was especially cruel. He was kind of at the end of increasingly mean uh, Caesars in, in Italy. The Romans had gotten really good at killing Christians. And Nero had this plan that he wanted to rebuild Rome kind of in his vision. That was a way of making a, a statement about his, his incredible rule. And it is rumored that Nero started a fire that began to burn through Rome. They got it under control. They started, he started it again. You know, the old, the old saying is that uh, Nero played fiddle while Rome burned. But he needed a scapegoat. He needed to blame someone for the city that was burning, even though it looks like he started the fire because he wanted to rebuild the city. And so who did he blame? The Christians. And the greatest Christian persecution broke out of Rome in that time under Nero. More than likely, it is believed, Paul, who couldn't have been crucified because he was a Roman citizen, Paul was probably beheaded under Nero in Rome. That, more than likely, is the end of Paul's life, but it's all that Scripture has to say about him other than all of the letters that he wrote previous to this to all of those churches, to Timothy, to help them grow in faith, to encourage them, to educate them, to strengthen them. What does Paul leave us with? Passion, purpose, and an eternal mindset. If there's anything we can take away from, the Paul, from Paul, that's it. He had a passion. He had a purpose. And he had an eternal mindset that had nothing to do with him and had everything to do with Jesus. What do you and I take away from Paul? That we can have passion and purpose and an eternal mindset in sharing Jesus. The situations and the circumstances never changed Paul's outlook. They never changed his attitude. We didn't hear Paul complain once, not one time through all of this stuff that he didn't ask for, that he didn't deserve, that wasn't right and it wasn't fair. Paul always found a way to give thanks and to give God glory and to talk about Jesus. If anybody had a right to complain, he did. But Paul never complained. It didn't matter what happened, who did it. Paul always re figured it was a way for him to talk about Jesus. So what about you and I? What, what do we do? Let's go back to shipwrecks. What do you do when you've got a shipwreck in your life? What do you do when everything goes off the rails and nothing works? What do you do when it just everything seems to completely fall apart? Who do you have faith in? What do you believe in? What do you trust? See, in America today, we have faith in our faith. So many people do. Religion and spirituality. The universe loves me and it's going to take care of me. No, it's not. The universe doesn't know you're here. It's cold and heartless. Literally. Jesus, however, Jesus knows you're here. Do you have faith in your faith? Do you have faith in the fact that you believe in something? Or do you have faith in Jesus who gave His life that your sins could be forgiven and you could spend an eternity in heaven? See, Christians who live for their faith in Jesus, have a solid ground to stand on. 
And if you're a Christian that dabbles in other religions and other spiritualities and listens to other people and grabs other teaching that's contrary to God's Word, be careful. Because it will suck you into a shipwreck. It will suck you into a shipwreck to the point that you may well never even remember that Jesus was there for you in the first place. What do you have faith in? See, we're we're living in this 29th chapter of Acts day today. Acts 28 went a little bit into the first century. And for 2,000 years, the church has been writing Acts 29. We, as the open door, part of our foundation is the book of Acts, chapter 2, 42 to 47. We want to be like that community of believers. We get to write the 29th chapter of Acts for ourselves. But part of that is, what do you do with a shipwreck? What's a shipwreck? could be the death of a loved one. could be a death that was five years ago. It could be a death that was three weeks ago. could be a death that was yesterday. Sometimes that shipwreck changes the entire course of our lives. But what do you have faith in? It could be divorce. Maybe you wanted it. Maybe you didn't. But it could be like a shipwreck that completely changes the course of your life. Maybe it's a financial crisis or a job loss or you lose a house. It's a shipwreck. And maybe you saw the signs coming. Maybe you knew that there was trouble on the horizon and you just ignored it because you believed you could work your way through it. What do you do when you realize that you're caught in a shipwreck? See, what some people do is they cling to the past. They cling to the ship that's sinking. They cling to everything that was that maybe did or maybe didn't work. And they hold on to that thinking, but it's got to get better eventually. I don't deserve to be here. But as Christians, we should cling to Jesus. We should cling to the promises in God's Word that Paul keeps pointing us to. Maybe what you do is you throw stuff overboard like they did when their ship was sinking. Maybe you think that this person is the cause of all my problems and I just get rid of them, everything's going to be good. This book or this YouTube or this whatever, this is going to help me. If I get rid of this stuff in my life, then everything's going to improve. What do you cling to in a shipwreck? Or do you trust in God and in His promises? Do you trust in Jesus who gave His life for your sins that your sins could be forgiven and you could live in eternity with Him? What that means is that we're not guaranteed this life isn't going to be difficult. It doesn't mean that that because of our sins we're not going to have to uh, be responsible and pay consequences. It doesn't mean we're not going to experience shipwrecks. What it means is that our eternity is secured. And like Paul, no matter what happens around us, we can keep our eyes focused on Jesus. But do you trust in Him? Do you, do you believe in what it is that He did for you? Do you live and give that way? Here's why it's important. Brought this out a while ago to Bataan. Something you use in a relay race, and one runner, who's way faster than me, hands it off to the second runner. And the second runner runs for all the worth and hands it off to the third runner. And the only way that the race is completed is that they make successful handoffs one to the next so that the one who starts isn't the one who finishes, but the last one in the relay team crosses the finish line because they've successfully passed the baton. Acts 28 is a passing of the baton to Acts 29 that hasn't been written. We are writing it. We receive the baton. You know what the baton looks like? The baton looks like this. It's the Bible. This is what we're passing along. It's what was given to you. It's what you inherited in faith. And it's what we are responsible to hand off to the next generation. Why does that matter? 
I've said this before, and I absolutely believe that it's true. We are being challenged in America and our world like never before. We're one generation away from this book being ignored and irrelevant because we didn't pass the baton. Can't hand that off to someone else. You can't say someone else is going to do it. Well, Pastor Steve, he's the Christian. He's paid. He can do it. He'll, he'll talk to everybody. You know what? I can't talk to everybody, but you can. There's people who you know and who you meet that you can pass the baton to. How about kids? We're talking about a capital campaign. And we're talking about building a building because God is blessing us with more people and more souls and more eternity to share His truth with. And along with the adults come the kids. And the kids are the ones that need this book. The kids are the ones that are growing up without it. The kids are the ones that are living in a world that dismisses it and makes fun of it and mocks it. And our job is to pass along the baton. But do you believe it? Is your faith in what you believe, no matter what it is, is your faith in what you can do, or is your faith grounded in this book and in Jesus and what He did for you? See, there's kids coming to our, our youth ministries on Wednesday night from pre-K all the way through 12th grade that don't even know they need that baton. But they've heard there's good people that are going to welcome them and hang out. They're going to have fun. And before you know it, you know it, they're praying for them. They're praying for each other. And the baton is being passed to another one. And it's spreading through the schools. It's spreading through the area. Because some of you have taken seriously the responsibility to pass the baton. We're talking about putting up a building so we can house the kids. So we've got a safe space for them to be. Why is that important? Because that's the place on Wednesday night that we get to work on passing the baton. We get to raise that next generation in the faith that you hold so dear. Because the world isn't going to do it, which means it's up to us. It's our turn to pass the baton. So in a moment, ushers are going to come forward and we're going to receive gifts and tithes and offerings. I want you, Yeah, you guys can come on up. I want you to think about something. I want you to think about what you put your faith in. Do you put your faith in your own hard work? Do you put your faith in your good attitude? Do you put your faith in your job or your company or your marriage? or What do you put your faith in? Because all of those things one day are going to go away. And if you don't put your faith in Jesus, all you have is faith in your faith. And so when we talk about collecting gifts and tithes and offerings, what we're really talking about doing is not just keeping the lights and the heat and the air conditioning on in the grass mode. We're talking about making a conscious effort to pay into the future. We're talking with the capital campaign and with, with gifts and tithes and offerings. We're talking about consciously and intentionally passing along the baton. Because the thing that terrifies me more than anything, I've got three grandchildren, Deidre and I do at this point. I can't imagine in a world where they don't know Jesus. I can't imagine in a world where, where all of the folks who are our age, who had the opportunity to pass the baton along, decided, well, I want the money for myself. I want all the stuff. I want all the things. I can't imagine our grandkids not having an opportunity to know Jesus. And so when we collect gifts and tithes and offerings and we talk about the capital campaign, what we're really talking about is taking a responsibility as Christian believers and passing the baton along to the next generation. Let's pray. God, thank you for Paul. Thank you for the book of Acts. Thank you that some of the drama is just, it's kind of hilarious. The things that happen to him, but it's real. And we can't laugh at it because he lived through it. But God, his attitude never changed. 
His outlook never changed. Paul took every opportunity, every circumstance, every situation, whether good or bad, to be an opportunity to talk about Jesus. God, Paul passed the baton along to Timothy, to churches all over his part of the world. He did it so well, so effectively, so passionately, God, that the church that he was a part of helping to build still exists and we're a part of it. And God, now that responsibility, that baton is passed to us. Help us to accept and to own and to be grateful for that responsibility, for that opportunity. Sometimes it comes with dollars attached. Sometimes it comes with difficult, uncomfortable conversations. Sometimes it comes with an encouraging word or stopping to pray for someone. God, help us to be mindful that we are writing the 29th chapter of the book of Acts. God, help us to do in a way that honors you, that honors Jesus, that remembers Paul and the lessons that we have from him and God that always, always thinks about passing that baton to the next generation, to the people that don't know you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. I'll invite ushers to come forward. We're going to receive morning's gifts and tithes and offerings. So think about the baton. Think about passing it along to the next generation. Acts 29 is what we get to write that tells the story for all of history, how it is that we accepted that responsibility and that calling, and we pass the baton to the next generation. Stakes are higher than they've ever been. You don't have to be told that by anybody. You know it. You see it in the world. You can hear it in the news. You watch it. Uh, You know what's going on. We can't afford to drop the baton that is God's word and faith in Jesus. There are people who are counting on us who need us. God is counting on us to do our part as Christians. If we know anything, Jesus is essential. And there are people who are trying to navigate life without him. And the baton that we have in God's word gives them an introduction to God, to his son Jesus who died to save them from their sins and give them eternal life and to God's Holy Spirit. That's the baton we get to pass along. It can be the simplest thing as a conversation that gets things started, but just realize you have an opportunity as a baton carrier to pass it on. One more song before you go, folks. Thanks for coming. Have a great week.